When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Man Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Um, well, I am kind of looking forward to uh, the weekend and seeing what the Timbers do in New York, uh, because that trip to L.A. Uh, wasn't maybe the best first game of the season I've ever seen out of the Timbers. So I'm, not great, Bob. Right. Not great. Yeah. Looking forward to what's ahead. At yes, this point. for sure. I'm looking forward to the weekend and seeing what's going to happen in New York because I'm going to New York. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I took advantage of the cheap plane tickets on Alaska Air because they had a sale a couple of months ago. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm going to be heading over there, enjoying a long weekend and, and of course going to the Timbers game as well. Uh, so yeah, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you have any suggestions on things to do, I don't know when the last time you were in New York was for me, it was like, I don't know, maybe college or something like that. Uh, so yeah, if you've got suggestions, I'm, I'm absolutely all ears. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there's people that have better suggestions. I, I mean, there was all the, all the, I think normal things that you see on the tourist, uh, websites. I, last time I was in New York, some of my favorite things were finding the giant's bar, there which is probably not something you want to do but no that was no i have no interest in finding a giant's bar um i also like they're like they have a lot of cool uh just cool restaurants and um different places mac and cheese shops peanut butter shops christina tozzi's uh uh bakery with the crack pie Ooh. is one of the things that i am going to get when i go to new york because it just looks amazing uh, <laughs> at some point but yeah, I, I, New York's a cool city. There, there's so much to do. I'm sure you will not be bored while you're there. No, no. Well, of of the sort of like tourist trappy things, what is your favorite? Like, is it is it Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty, uh, Ellis Island, the Met? What do you? What? I, yeah, I would I would go the Met. I would go Central Park. I wouldn't go the Statue of Liberty. The the best time I did the Statue of Liberty, I thought was when I didn't really do it, we just kind of went on a boat and, and sailed past it. That was pretty cool. Um, I felt like that was a better way than necessarily just going to the Statue of Liberty. But the Met, the museums are great. Uh, I, I wouldn't skip on the museums. Yeah, museums uh, are, are definitely very strong. And something, and, you know, I've been there a couple times before in my relative youth uh, and and didn't, like, hit the museum super hard. I remember doing the Statue of Liberty and, and basically my, like, 
I think my takeaway from that was basically the same as yours was like the boat right up to it <laughs> was the best yeah. part. Um, Ellis Island though is pretty cool, uh, from, from my recollection and, and, and I didn't enjoy that. So, um, but yeah, so that's going to be fun. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Looking forward to, uh, taking the path on out to Harrison, New Jersey, uh, where the Timbers will take on the New York Red Bulls, New York, of course, they loosely use term, uh, in, in that regard, but the rebels nonetheless. Uh, and, and so, yeah, but before we talk about that, we have to talk about the Timbers in the galaxy. That was on Sunday evening, uh, kind of a weird Sunday night game, seven o'clock Pacific, uh, on, on Sunday and, and, and the Timbers whew, did not do so hot. They lost two to one, uh, Sebastian Blanco scored the, the lone goal for the Timbers, but, uh, but Romain Alessandrini and Ola Kamara both scored for the galaxy to, to provide the final margin. Uh, our predictions, uh, I called a 2-2 draw uh, and, and a Ridgy roll. I was a Ridgy roll away, I guess, from being right. Uh, but but I didn't get the result. I did get the you know, correct number of Galaxy goals for what that's worth. Uh, but I didn't get the result. Uh, I didn't get the side bet. You did get the result and the score on the money, 2-1 uh, to the Galaxy, so people cannot like you for that. Uh, and you called a, uh, a, a Samuel Armenteros goal, by the way, I'm not entirely sure. And I feel like this is something I should be entirely sure on as to whether it, it is like more properly pronounced Samuel or Samuel. I have heard both from people who I would think would know. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, if that's some reporting you could do, that would be, that would be fantastic. Do a piece on the proper pronunciation <laughs> of Armenteros' first name. Uh, anyway, you, you said he was going to score a goal. Nah, he did not. Uh, so Jamie, go ahead and give out the points, uh, however many you think I deserve for, well, I don't know, like getting the Galaxy's goals right, and however many you deserve for getting the, the result and the score. Um, I am going to give myself 19 points for getting the scoreline right, and I'm going to give you one for getting the goals right, because I, I that, that to me is just not that big of a deal, so... I, I agree, but I appreciate that one point. Um, that makes me feel pretty good about myself. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, 19 to 1. That's how we open the season uh, in our very whose line is it anyway uh, inspired scoring system. Uh, uh, let, let's tackle this with a question from Sean, uh, who wants to know quite simply, is the sky falling after one game? <laughs> Jamie Goldberg, sky falling. What do you say, Chicken Little? <laughs> it, the sky is definitely not falling after one game. It, that is and a very fact, not chicken little uh, like yeah. response. <laughs> um, in fact, even after these first five games, I, even if this is a tough stretch for the Timbers, I'm going to give them some leeway to see how they come back and do at home. I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for this team to potentially settle in. They're starting on the road, new coach, some new changes, a key injury with Diego Chara still out. Uh, and we'll get, to his status in a bit. I am not surprised that it's taking a little bit of time for this group to come together. And I think they deserve that time to see how things do come together. They do have a lot of the same uh, group as they had last year. That group won the Western conference. So there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful about what this team can do. They've, they've made some significant signings in the off season. There's we've seen some promise for, from some of those players coming in. So yeah, the, the sky is not falling yet. This was not a good game. I, I think it was very much seemed like the Timbers were still in preseason form and they have to turn the, turn that on, get into regular season form and, and play like that now that it, the season's underway. And we're going to want to see improvement, but I, I don't think you can make 
a ton of assessments about how the season's going to go after one game. What well, what did you think were some of the primary issues that you saw? I mean, you were there, you you were able to see it live, so uh, that's an even better vantage point than than we uh, had on TV for the rest of us that were in Portland. I mean, what were some of the things that you saw uh, or that you sort of took away from from the Timbers' performance as a whole? Yeah, I I, I thought that. There was a number of issues in in the first half, particularly. I, I think they did improve in, in the second half. I think both Marco Farfan and Alvis Powell had very, very poor outings, and, and that made a huge difference. Uh, they could not limit uh, LA's uh, attackers, and I think LA got a lot more chances um, because of their inability to to be effective on defense. I, I thought Larry Smabiala as well had a poor outing. He has not looked good all preseason, and that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, We know how good he was last year, but he hasn't shown that form yet this year. And I think that kind of left Ridgewall to try to pick up the slack there, and and it didn't really work out all that well. I I think as Savarese said after the game, the ball movement wasn't good enough. I felt like the Timbers were just too slow in, in moving the ball. And I guess it somewhat in part of that, because of that, they weren't able to create that many chances. The The attack in the first half essentially disappeared. They picked up a little bit with Sebastian Blanco, I, I think, kind of switching from the right to left wing in the second half and almost single-handedly putting the attack on his shoulders for a little bit in that second half. But it, it was pretty – there wasn't much happening in the attack, not enough of, not enough of influence happening from Valeri, not, um, who didn't get on the ball too much. Audi wasn't that effective – so I, I think there was just a lot of problems going on across the field. I, I do credit them for making adjustments at halftime to at least come out and play a significantly better in the second half and keep the game close. But there was a lot that I think you take away from that game and say, this team needs to work. Uh, this team has some work to do. Yeah, you know, there have been a lot of folks discussing Marco Farfan, discussing uh, Alvis Powell and their performances, and and for good reason, right? Uh, you know, it was obviously disappointing from both, uh, both of whom had, I think, very good preseasons uh, and and both of whom sort of came in and laid an egg. And, and so, you know, I mean, that is what it is. It's more understandable for Farfan than it is for Powell at this point. I mean, at this point, you would hope that Alvis and you would expect not not just hope you would expect uh, that Alvis would be getting out of the habit of having these kinds of performances. Uh, and so that's certainly a frustration. He'll get an opportunity to, to bounce back. He'll get an opportunity to show uh, that he is and can be and consistently can be more of the player that we saw in preseason than he was uh, on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's frustrating from him. Uh, for Farfan, I mean, it's, look, he, he's he's going to have some rough goes. I, I, I think everybody uh, sort of expects that and understands that. Uh, and and the, the question is going to be the, the extent to which he can learn from these and grow from these. Uh, that's what happens when you when you play a 19 year old. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it this week and, and and just sort of what I remember seeing sort of other formerly really young MLS players uh, have. And and I just remember I, I you know, I'm not even sure I could remember the particular game that it was, but I just remember watching a game. It, it was a couple or three years ago when Justin Glad was sort of first getting into the RSL lineup. And I don't think he was a regular starter yet, uh, but he did start a game against the Timbers at Providence Park. And Fernando Adi just absolutely dominated him. Like, 
it, it in the kind of way where I, I remember sitting in the press box and just looking down and feeling bad for glad because it was just like he he was not prepared to handle somebody like Adi and he was just getting brutalized because of it oh um, so even somebody you know you know like me who is uh, who is a little bit of a partisan and and, and 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 a timber supporter I just felt bad for the guy because he you know you just yeah you couldn't help but feel bad for him um fast forward to now, and, and Justin Glad was one of the better defenders in MLS last year. And so, I mean, you're just going to get these kinds of things where, whether it's a matchup or whether it's a day or, or, or whatever it is, where these young players, these 19, you know, a 19-year-old Marco Farfan is going to step into the lineup and just get hammered. And and I thought that's more or less what happened. Uh, it's, it's not to say that he, that everything he did was bad, uh, but he got exposed a number of times and that's unfortunate, but it's also sort of just comes with the territory. So, you know, I mean, to some extent, I'm not super worried about that. Uh, it, it's sort of just what is, I thought the, the, the central midfield, and this is, this is a little bit tough because the galaxy were very consciously bypassing the timber central midfield. They were playing very, very direct. They were playing through the wings. I mean, you, you look at, at Gio Dos Santos, who was playing as, as their nominal 10, he was hardly involved at all. Uh, it really was playing through Alessandrini, playing through Boateng on the other side. Uh, and, and, and so there, there wasn't a lot where there was a lot sort of coming into the teeth of the Timber Central midfield. But still, they did not really find the game on, on, on the defensive side. They were very, very quiet. Uh, they did not do a ton in support of the fullbacks. Uh, and so there were a lot of times when, when the fullbacks were pretty exposed and were really in one-on-one positions where it's a little bit tougher uh, to sort of push somebody when you only have, when you have a, have a one-on-one position, uh, sort of a one-on-one situation. Uh, and then there were just, there were just times when, when they just weren't able to sort of dictate the flow, not only offensively, but defensively. Uh, and, and so that is something the Timbers are going to have to improve upon. Obviously <laughs> that's going to be very different when Diego Chara uh, returns to the lineup for the Timbers. So, I mean, you know, if you want to sort of sort out short-term versus long-term concerns, you would certainly think that is going to be more of a short-term concern than it is a long-term concern. So, we'll see, you know, I mean, the, those are two things. But I think you make really good points about the attack. And that is that, look, I mean, the attack was pretty milk toast, especially in that first half. And even in the second half, it's not like the Timbers were creating chances by the bushel full. Chances were coming, but they were sort of few and far between. And frankly, they were mostly half chances. Even the one that, that Sebastian Blanco ultimately scored, I don't think you, you look at that and you're like, hey, that is a really, you know, well-worked uh, chance or anything like that. It, it, it was a nice little combination between he and Adi uh, on uh, on a, a little bit on a turnover from, from the Galaxy. And, and, you know, I mean, the two of them did a good job. Uh, of making the most of it. And Blanco finished it nicely right between the wickets of David Bingham. But, you know, I mean, you didn't have a lot of sequences through the course of the game where you're like, that's what the Timbers are trying to do on the attack. That's what the Timbers are trying to do offensively. And yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that that in the course of all of that, they are still in, in more or less preseason form and they are still trying to figure out how they're going to operate uh, in, in Gio Savarese's system. Fernando Adi, I thought, came into the game as the second half went along with regard to sort of his his combination play and his play within the flow of the the attack. But I never felt he was terribly box dangerous. Uh, Andy Polo, frankly, looked entirely lost uh, and, and, and looked like he has not at all figured out uh, how he's going to be effective uh, and, 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 and what his role is going to be in this attack. 
Diego Valeri, I thought, got on the ball a fair amount, but it wasn't necessarily in in, in sort of dangerous spots. Uh, and that really the only guy, as you noted, that was getting himself into dangerous spots uh, and, and that looked, you know, to be a danger to either score a goal or to, or to create a great chance was Sebastian Blanco. And we've talked about how Blanco is likely to be a more important player this season. We've talked about how he's probably going to have to carry a little bit more of that attacking load over the course of the year, but it can't be the only guy. Uh, the Timbers need something from those two other DPs, and, and I, you know, fully expect that both will come around. I fully expect the that 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 Samuel or Samuel Armenteros is, is going to come around uh, and is also going to be a major contributor to the to the attack. But I mean, that was decidedly lacking as well. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you going back to to Sean's question that the sky is not falling, and that you have to consider whether. You know, I mean, you have to consider all of those things that you mentioned, the 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 change in systems, the change in personnel uh, and, and all of that going into the season and, and know that there's going to be an adjustment period. But, you know, I also think it would have been reasonable uh, to at least hope that the Timbers would be farther along at this point uh, than they are. Uh, and and it, it's clear that they still have quite a bit further to go. So. You know, the sky is not falling, uh, but I think it's fair to say that, that, that Gio and the team has a bit of work uh, to do in, in the course of these next few weeks if they don't want to sort of put themselves behind the eight ball going into the rest of the season, at least when they come and at least when they come home uh, in April. Uh, pressing high at StubHub Center. What did you think watching the game as a whole? And this is something that you can see a lot more live than you really can on TV because your sort of scope is, is, is so much more narrowed when you're watching on TV. But pressing high at StubHub Center, a notoriously large, maybe gigantic field, uh, did you think it was a good idea or a bad idea? How did you think it played out over the course of the game? Yeah, um, you mentioned the large field. I, I think given that, um, you you wonder if it was the appropriate place for the Timbers to kind of go with, with this sort of style of play. I, I think... It did work at moments. I, I think in the second half, they, they improved with the high press, and I, I think they were able to utilize that to get some some opportunities. At the same time, I, I think there was a lot of moments in the game that didn't work. And I, I, I think this might not have been the best place for the Timbers to try this out. But at the same time, if this is a style that Geo's very committed to, the Timbers have to get used to playing it. Uh, so there's a balance there. Um, I think what Savaresi is going to learn, I, I think what Caleb Porter learned over time here is, is that you can't be committed to, to one formation, one style of play. You have to be willing to adjust and make significant adjustments based on the opponent, based on the field, based on the travel, um, based on all these obstacles that, that you're going to deal with in MLS. And, and I'm not sure if this is a style of play that's going to work week in and week out, or if it was the best idea uh, going to a, a place like LA, but it, it is something that he's clearly committed to getting the team to use effectively. And, and like I said, they have to try to use it. And at moments I, I was effective um, at moments. You could see what they were trying to do. And I think there was some promise there. And I think that's part of the reason why Savarese left the game overall fairly positive. Um, obviously it's the first game as well. I wasn't expecting anything too negative from him, but left it fairly positive because there was some promise with that, that high press, but uh, it was really up and down. Yeah. It, I thought it was really up and down. I thought it left some huge spaces in behind that frankly made it pretty easy for the galaxy to unlock some of those sequences where 
you know, I mean, when they turned over the Timbers, it was one, two passes, and 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 then they they got the spot to where they got the ball to where they wanted it uh, on the wing, and so I thought that was pretty significant uh, that that it did leave those spaces in behind. And frankly, if I were developing a game plan where my sole objective was to go get three points from that LA Galaxy team, I would not have done that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would have done something much closer to what the the Whitecaps did before in the final preseason game, sort of that final tune-up at StubHub Center when they won and they, they went in, went in and won two one, which was to more or less keep the, the 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 their blocks low, their lines organized, and look to get on out on the counter. Frankly, the the Galaxy did not look capable of breaking down those lines uh, through the through the course of that game against uh, against the Whitecaps. The Galaxy also looked pretty vulnerable on the counterattack. And even though the, the the Whitecaps were not sort of creating a, a huge number of chances, they were getting some decent ones. Uh, and they were getting some decent ones when they were able to, to, to sort of get out and, and get on the front foot in those selected moments. And so I would have done something a lot closer to that. That said, the counter argument, and, and, and I think why you can sort of ultimately understand why the Timbers did what they did, is that Geo's still installing this system. Gio's still getting this team used to playing in this way. And frankly, it's it's not it's not even necessarily a, a sort of a, a system and, and, and sort of a philosophy that really fits the Timbers supernaturally. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at Diego Valeri, you look at Fernando Adi. Ordinarily, when you're going to be a high-pressing team, you're going to want to have guys that are pretty committed defensively uh, playing the, the, those attacking positions. And, and you know, because of physical limitations and, and because of the way they've been playing over the last few years, that's not really uh, Audi and Valeri. And so it, it is going to be a bit of a process to get the Timbers to a, to a place where they're going to be able to, to press high really effectively. And so I agree with you. It, it certainly was, and not even just in moments, but I, I think it, through entire through spells of the game, it was pretty effective. The Timbers were able to turn the Galaxy over uh, a reasonable amount in their own half. The Timbers were able to create some chances coming out of that. The, the Timbers' best chances on the day basically sprung from and came out of that high press. And so I think that's a, that's good reason uh, to be enthusiastic. And and I think it would be at least uh, defensible if Gio said, you know what, I understand this isn't the, maybe the best way to go out and get three points here today in the first week of March, but it's more important for me to keep building on what I'm trying to build with this team than it is to deviate from that for the purpose of this game and then try to come back to it. I, I want to instill that philosophy. And then when it comes September, when we get to August, September, October, and we're scratching for points to for playoff positioning or whatnot, that's when we'll show that flexibility. That's when we'll be willing uh, to sort of compromise these principles. But at this point, as we're still installing it, I don't want to compromise it. Uh, and, and so I, I think that is at least a, a good argument for for Gio to make as to why he put the Timbers together the way he did uh, on Sunday against the Galaxy. So, you know, in in the end, I I would say it was a bad idea for the day, but probably a good idea for the team as a whole. And and if they can continue to build on their pressing, get better about being able to both cover defensively uh, when the press gets broken and uh, press high like that. Uh, and, and if they're able to sort of refine this system as a result of pressing in a really difficult place to press, uh, then I think they may be at a, in a, at a, you know, in a point three, four five, however many weeks from now, when they say that that was ultimately more valuable than the point or three points that they let slip away, uh, against the galaxy. 
What did you think happened to the back line? I mean, we sort of went through the individual performances. Do you think it what really was sort of just a function of that high press, or do you think there's something more fundamental going on? I mean, is it fair at this point in light of what we've seen in preseason and in light of what we've seen uh, over the course of the last week? Is it fair to say that the back line is is a significant vulnerability for this team? Well, like, like we said, uh, Marco and Alvis both had uh, much better pre-seasons than they showed when they came out in, in this regular season game. They can both play better, and we saw it throughout preseason. Uh, I, I think just with Boateng and Al- Alessandrini, that they were just overmatched, and, and they just didn't step up um, on those matchups. I, I think that kind of left Ridgewell and Mabiala to try to clean things up, and I, I don't. I think Ridgewell had a pretty solid shift overall. I think he did kind of turn it on after preseason, having maybe a so-so preseason. I think he did turn it on a little bit for this game. I, I think if anyone on the back line I'm worried about right now, it's Mabiala because I, I think he still had a poor performance and I don't think he had a tremendous preseason. I, I know he he's a guy that we we saw perform and do very well alongside Ridgewell last year, uh, but, uh, but what we've seen so far this year I think has been a little bit concerning. I, I think with the outside backs, there's options there. And we we know that when Vetus is healthy, he very well could take that position. So we could be talking about a different player entirely. But I do also think that we've seen a lot more this year within within the last few weeks from both those players. And, and I, I don't necessarily think this is what we're going to expect from the entire back line as a performance week in and week out. It, it's concerning, but we know that all of those players can do better and we've seen them do better. And I, I don't think this is necessarily a product of the style that the Timbers are playing, but, but much more kind of the individual performances on the day. How, how far do you think we are from genuinely asking whether Julio Cascante should be starting over Laris Mabiala? I, how much, in other words, how much sort of leash do you think Mabiala has this early in the season? Because, you know, I mean, starting from the premise that he was, Good, good to very good even uh, last year. I, during the game, sort of equated him to Pamo Duka, who in his first season in change or in his first, you know, half season or whatever it was, was part of the Great Wall of Gambia uh, and then sort of fell apart in the following year. But how much of a leash do you think he has, uh, you know, sort of as a result of his performance last year? And do you think this is something now where, uh, where where the Timbers over the course of the next few weeks could be looking to start Cascante. I, I think it's interesting with the new coach. I, I mean, obviously, Gio has watched the Timbers, studied the Timbers, but he's also coming in without having worked with these players before. And I think that kind of puts a little bit more pressure on them to perform and prove to Gio that they deserve to be in the lineup. And uh, he's said throughout preseason, he's committed to letting these competitions play out. So I, we'll see what he ultimately does. But I, I think three weeks down the road, if we're still talking about this, I, I think, yes, the, the Timbers are going to be looking to potentially give Cascante a, a chance because he did he had a good preseason and they invested significant money in him. And if Mahabiala is not stepping up, that's not something you want to wait on too long um, because you, you're not going to win games if you're, defense and if one of your central backs is just not uh doing what they need to do i agree i think it probably is you know a matter of a couple weeks or so uh where if in these next couple games he's not starting to show progress and it and is not starting to show the form that he showed last season 
you know, why wouldn't you uh, want to get somebody like Julio Cascante, who you expect, who you just invested a good amount of money in, and who you expect to be a starting center back uh, for the club in the pretty near future? Why wouldn't you get him in there? Why why wouldn't you bring him in? And and, and at least if you're going to get sort of that, you know, I mean, even if he's not an immediate big upgrade over Mabiella, uh, you know, wouldn't you want to to get the benefit uh, of giving him some time in the team uh, to 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 sort of get comfortable to get uh, comfortable within the system and and, and the league uh, and and to work toward becoming that that starting level center back that they brought him in to be. So yeah, I mean, I I also think the that the leash is probably not super long uh, for Mabiella if he continues to struggle uh, and and if he doesn't sort of get back to last year's form. If he gets back to last year's form, it, it's a totally different ballgame because I would be surprised uh, if Cascante is is sort of ready and able to step in and be that player that he was that that Mabiella was uh, last year, which was very good and really helped the Timbers defense sort of turn around its season. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess uh, that one, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes a pretty genuine controversy uh, if Mabiala continues to struggle. Let's talk about the injury report because that certainly affects some of the, the choices on the back line and in the back six uh, more particularly. Uh, starting with Jeff Adanella, you talked to Gio Savarese yesterday uh, during his weekly press conference. What did he have to say about, uh, about Adanella's uh, readiness? Yeah, he, he made it sound like Adanella's progressing. And I, I did see Adanella go out on the field after training uh, on Tuesday and kind of do his own one-on-one uh, -on -one session um, with the goalkeeper coach. So I, it does seem like he's making progress and he's getting close, but Gio did roll him out for this game uh, Saturday. So it sounds like then uh, it'll be Gleason starting with McIntosh on the bench Saturday in New York. What do we know about Vitas? Vitas, it sounds like could be a little while longer. We Gio wasn't too concerned yet, but he said it's not progressing as quickly as they expected. Uh, we I haven't seen him out on the field, and he's been rolled out for Saturday. Um, there was no exact timeline there, and he did say he was hopeful it wouldn't be too long, but we'll see what that means. He's out this weekend, and I think that's going to be a question for uh, next week as well. That means that obviously that I think Marco Farfan will get another shot to kind of redeem himself after the performance against LA. And the one that I think everybody is wanting to know, Diego Chara. Did we find out anything new about Chara's status? Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise, at least to me, that he wasn't, yeah. wasn't even on the bench uh, in, in LA. I, I have no idea uh, why that is, whether it's because uh, they just knew that they weren't going to play him and they didn't want to throw him in for sort of a short spell. So they would rather have that bench spot for somebody else uh, or because there was some sort of setback. Do we know anything about any of that uh, with regard to Chara? Yeah, I, I was surprised as well not to see him on the bench. He did travel to, to LA. We do know that. So they made that as a last minute decision. Um, Gio didn't really give us much information on that. His general uh, general thing he said was, we'll see in terms of Chara's status for the weekend. So I, I'm not sure where it's at. I'm not sure if there's something else going on. I will say that Chara was in training as he has been. So it, if it was some sort of major setback, we wouldn't have seen him, I think, in training on Tuesday. Uh, but his status for the weekend and whether we see him for some time, whether we see him start, it is really up in the air right now. That's very fair. If it were a major setback, he would not have been in training. Uh, so I, I think we can probably sort of eliminate that theory of why he was not on the bench. Uh, and, and it probably was just a, a function 
uh, of them not feeling like, you know, they wanted to use them for 30 or 45 minutes or however long they felt they could have gone. Uh, and so if you're not going to do that, then why not have Andres Flores on, on the bench? You know, why not have another attacking option on the bench? Uh, and that certainly makes some sense. But, you know, I mean, the, <laughs> that, that doesn't help solve the mystery for this weekend. Uh, you would think if he traveled last weekend, he would also travel this weekend. But whether he'll be on the bench, whether he'll be in the starting lineup, I think are entirely open questions. Do you agree with that? Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be one that it, we're just waiting to see the lineup to to find out what's going on with that. And obviously, I think if Char's not in there, we're going to see Paredes probably uh, in that spot again. Yeah, so follow at Timbers FC about an hour before the game. You might have an answer to the question. Uh, that game, by the way, that is Saturday at 4 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, that's Timbers versus New York Red Bulls. It's going to be 7 o'clock if you're like me and you are in New York slash New Jersey. Uh, Ryan wants to know, what changes do you expect to see from, from Salvarese? Let's set the, the Chara question aside. So let's assume for the sake of Ryan's question that, that, that Paredes is, is going to start. Do you expect to see the same 11 uh, as sort of the, the first part of the question? And second, do you think there will be a much different style from what we saw in L.A.? I, I kind of tried to ask Gio about this, and obviously he didn't completely tip his, tip his hand or anything. Um, and what I, you I, mean by he didn't com- completely tip his hand is he didn't tip his hand at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it Based on what he said, we can't really take too much away from that. But but I, if I were to guess, I, I think they'll probably go with the same lineup, basic same idea. And it goes back to the point you were making. If he he has a style that he's trying to implement, he's trying to get some consistency here, um, get the team playing the way he wants them to play. I, I think the way to do that is continuing to commit to that. And I think at some point there's going to have to be serious changes if if it doesn't work, if it continues to. Uh, if the terrorists continue to fall flat like they did in LA. But I think for now, he he probably will let see if this team can build off and learn from their performance in LA and kind of go with a similar style and uh, same lineup in New York. So we're recording on Wednesday evening. That means last night, uh, last night, the New York Red Bulls went down to Estadio Caliente in Tijuana and won 2-0. Uh, they beat the Cholos 2-0 uh, in a huge upset. That was the, the the first time an MLS team had won an elimination match down in Mexico by multiple goals. Uh, and that's a big deal, or, or I suppose an elimination round match uh, down in Mexico because it was only the first leg. But nonetheless, they're going to be coming back to New York. I think that game is on Wednesday, if my uh, memory is serving me correctly. Uh, they're going to be coming back to, to New York two goals up. Uh, on on Tijuana uh, in, in the second leg of that CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. As a result of that, what kind of team do you expect to see from the Red Bulls? A few notes. Uh, Sean Davis, uh, a central midfielder for the Red Bulls, uh, will be suspended for that second leg. Uh, he started uh, against the Cholos this last week, uh, the, the, this last week uh, but he will not be playing in, in, in the second leg, so you may see him. Uh, have a higher likelihood of seeing him. But otherwise, do you expect this to be uh, a full sort of or close to full starting lineup and, and, and for Jesse Marsh to do it like TFC did last week uh, when they were between rounds and nonetheless in their home opener? Or do you expect it to be uh, some something more second choice uh, for Jesse Marsh with his eyes firmly on that second leg? Jamie, what do you what's your call? 
I think it'll be a mix. I, I think we'll see some stars in there. I think we'll look at the minutes that, that some of these players got in Tijuana. I think one of the big questions is what he's going to do with Bradley Wright Phillips because he did go 90, and I kind of doubt at this point after going 90 on Tuesday and given that he might need to play a role in the second leg of the series that he's going to start against the Timbers, which I think would change things a lot for Portland. I would not be surprised at all to see – uh, right Phillips on the bench and come in and potentially be a guy that can score a goal in the game. But, but he's a player that I think will quite possibly not be in the starting lineup given the champions league schedule. I think overall, we're going to see a mixed lineup and, and there will be some rotation, but there will be some starters in there. Uh, so that the Red Bulls have a decent shot, uh, feel like they have a decent shot to get the job done against the Timbers. Yeah, BWP will, by the way, will be turning 33 next week. So happy birthday, Bradley. Uh, But, you know, I mean, it just sort of goes to reinforce the point uh, that it would be a big ask for him to, especially this early in the season, to play three 90s in the course of a a week or so. I I think the most we'll see is that mixed lineup. It wouldn't shock me if we saw a predominantly or entirely second choice team uh, from the Red Bulls. Jesse Marsh is a coach that likes to rotate. His lineup. Remember last year when the Red Bulls came to Portland, it was a midweek game, or at least, it, if nothing else, it was a, a window in which the Red Bulls had three games in seven days, uh, and it was basically an entirely second choice lineup uh, for Marsh, and that was in the middle of the summer. Uh, the Timbers won that game two zero, uh, but you know, I mean, he he's a guy that that is willing to sacrifice for some MLS points, especially MLS points against a team from the Western Conference, uh, if there is a bigger fish to fry, so to speak. So uh, that wouldn't shock me. But, you know, I mean, there are going to be some guys, there are going to be some pretty legit players uh, that are likely to play a pretty significant role in in, in this game. You know, I, for example, uh, la- last night, Aurelian Colen did not even travel uh, down to Tijuana when, when, when the Red Bulls went for that CCL game. So you'd certainly think uh, Colen, even though he's sort of fallen out of the starting lineup in light of the acquisition of Tim Parker, you would certainly expect to see him uh, in the 11 uh, on Saturday. I mean, there are definitely some guys that, you know, are good, solid, uh, you know, MLS players, maybe if not uh, MLS difference makers, that you would expect to see. The one guy that absolutely has the potential to be a difference maker uh, and that could very well be uh, in the lineup is Kaku, who did not play uh, in the in the CCL game. You would think he would figure in uh, to the CCL game midweek, but you know, in light of the fact that he doesn't have that additional uh, that that additional game on his legs, you could absolutely see him being in the starting lineup uh, for the Red Bulls this upcoming weekend. So uh, we'll see, but but I, I wouldn't at all be surprised. In fact, I would be surprised if it is any more than mixed, uh, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if it's significantly less, uh, so to speak, than mixed. A few more Timbers questions before we move on to a couple Thorns matters. Rich wants to know how many weeks until we stop talking about missing Darlington Nagby. Jamie, when are you going to stop missing Darlington? I I think that it, we're going to probably be missing Darlington until we see the Timbers attack come together and slowly see the ball movement a bit better and until we see Andy Polo kind of taking over that at least place in the lineup and, and doing something with it. I, I think it's hard not to think about Darlington when, when Polo hat comes out and has a flat performance, when the ball movement looks just very slow and, and the attacks not functioning. And you're thinking that maybe in transition or, or in some way, probably not with goals and assists, but that Nagby could have contributed to um, helping them have a little, be a little bit more dangerous, uh, at least building into the attack. So 
I, I think it's tough to not be thinking a little bit about him, although I, I wouldn't say that uh, his debut with Atlanta was uh, a particularly shining moment either. You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and make the argument that I'm not super convinced that Darlington Nagby was the piece that the Timbers were missing against the Red Bulls. Uh, there was nothing really about against the game. LA. I mean, you know, it's not like yeah, yeah, against LA. Sorry. Uh, against the Galaxy. I mean, it's not like the Timbers were struggling to sort of to sort of get through midfield and to get on the front foot. Frankly, the problems were more with incision in the final third uh, and and taking that 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 possession. I think the Timbers. This is a little bit game steady, but I think the Timbers ultimately ended up having more of the ball than the, than the Galaxy did. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that, that sort of possession and transition did, did not strike me as being uh, the primary problem. Sure, you can say that, ah, you know, I mean, Nagby could have been more than, than, than Polo was. But, heck, I think uh, Dyrone Espria could have been more than, than Polo was. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I did not come away from that game saying oh, woe is me, Darlington, like, where is Darlington Nagby or anything like that? I, I, I think it was, you know, more a function of other issues uh, as uh, as the game went along that, you know, probably didn't have a ton to do uh, with Nagby's absence. That said, I mean, you know, we have seen moments uh, over the course of preseason where I did sort of feel like, oh, man, you know, they're really struggling to get on the front foot right now. They really could use uh, a Darlington Nagby. So, you know, it, it, you're right. In, in, in the larger sense, it will be until we see those problems kind of go away. Uh, it will be until we, we we see the Timbers attack fully clicking uh, that, that people will start stop talking about that. But you know, it, it is. If I were to to write down a list of five or even ten questions, uh, just looking at the Galaxy game, I don't think what are the Timbers going to do without Nagby uh, would be one of them. Natalie, how many games? Do the Timbers give Marco Farfan at left back? I think Marco Farfan is going to play at left back until Vitas is healthy, unless he completely wins the spot uh, during the time that Vitas is injured. So I, I think it's really, this is one that's really dependent on Marco. I, he's going to likely, I expect him to get the start again against New York. Uh, but if Vitas comes back in a, next week or, or the week after, I, I think the Timbers have a bye um next week if i remember correctly so it's very likely that vitas might be back for that third game of the season i I think if marco doesn't prove himself in this game if he if he comes out and has another poor performance i absolutely expect vitas to be back in there uh when he's healthy if he comes out and shows something then geo has a reason to say hey uh this kid might not have the perfect performance every game but he deserves a chance to stay in this lineup because of his upside so I think it's completely dependent on Marco at this point. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, you know, I, I, like you, I would be shocked if the Timbers did something, you know, I mean, if the Timbers went to Zarek Valentin or something like that at left back uh, before Vitas came back. I mean, you know, absent Marco really falling off the the the, the, the map um, or something like that happening. But, you know, I, I, I don't foresee that happening. Uh, and I think it's still a very much an open question as to what happens excuse me, when Vitas is fully healthy uh, and when uh, it, it, we're back to sort of the competition between the two. Uh, if Farfan has a couple good performances between now and when, when Vitas returns, it wouldn't shock me at all if he stays in, in, in the starting lineup for the reasons we've discussed uh, on episodes past. Uh, if he 
sort of looks a little bit shaky, uh, I would think that Vitas would be stepping back uh, into the starting 11. So we'll see. Um, Ben wants to know, sort of building on that, let's say Powell and Farfin are the fullbacks moving forward. Which one do you think will be more successful in the attack and why? I think it should be Powell. I think given his pace, when he does get forward, he he's a guy that can be dangerous in the attack. I, I think Marco has worked very hard on that part of his game, and that's an important part for him as a as a left back to be able to come forward, to be able to whip in those crosses, to be able to contribute in the attack. But I, I think Alvis Powell is much more naturally suited uh, to play a significant role in the attack. I agree. Uh, and I think we've seen it from Powell uh, in the past. Frankly, if you remember back toward when he sort of won that spot back toward the end of last year, he was really good <laughs> in the attack. I, I think he scored a goal. He had a couple assists. Uh, and, and he had multiple moments where he was a, a legitimate threat uh, getting forward. It wasn't necessarily that he was, you know, bombing crosses from 30 yards out or anything like that. In fact, it was that he wasn't doing that. He was unlocking the byline. Uh, he was making sort of underlapping runs into the box and creating danger that way. Uh, and, and so when we've seen Alvis Powell do that, he is a more dangerous attacking piece than Marco's proven to be able to be at this point in his career. Now, we did see at times during during preseason, and this is notable, when Farfan was very good, especially sort of in facilitating possession and helping to cultivate chances uh, on the edge of the final third. We didn't see Marco do a ton. Didn't see Marco do a ton in the final third. There was the game in which he scored a nice left-footed volley, but with the we didn't get to see that. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, we did see Farfan sort of coming along in that attacking game where you could definitely foresee him being able to be more of an attacking presence over the course of the next couple of years. And that's something that the Timbers would certainly love to see. Uh, but as of right now, if I were to make a projection for this season, uh, if both of those guys hold on to their jobs, I, I do think Powell just has more sort of overall ability uh, in the attack at this point than, than, than Farfan does. Thorns. Preseason opener, Sunday at 5 o'clock against the Red Stars. That's going to be at Merlot Field. Uh, we expect uh, the, that Emily Sonnet and Lindsay Horan, I almost said Lindsay Sonnet and Emily Horan because, you know, it's evening time and my brain is not that great. Uh, but nonetheless, Emily Sonnet and Lindsay Horan uh, should be back with the team. Whether they'll play or not, we don't know because they just finished the She Believes Cup. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team won it as a result of a 1-0 uh, win over England. Uh, yeah. And Christine Sinclair, uh, should also be back from Canada duty where she scored not one, but two goals. Uh, if my memory is serving me correctly, inching her closer and closer every day to Abby Wambach's, uh, all time goal scoring record, uh, on the international stage. That would be very exciting. In any event, Jamie Goldberg, you have been able to been in contact with folks on the thorn side over the course of the week or so. What do you think the plan is for this three game preseason tournament? Uh, as far as getting players action. Yeah, I think that the expectation is the national team players will be trickling back in ahead of the game. But Mark Parsons said that he doesn't expect them to play um, in that Sunday game. Uh, he, he kind of expects to give them some time after international duty to adjust, to get a few trainings under their belt. And then in that midweek game, uh, the second game of the tournament, that's when we could start seeing some of the national team players. And then that final game is when I think we'll see as close to what the Thorns starting lineup on, on opening day is going to look like. Uh, I think Mark said that one of the things he's going to be able to see, especially in these first two games, is 
kind of, it'll be a chance to give some players that are competing for a potential starting role. Remember from what we talked about with Caitlin Ford's injury, there are some questions about play positional needs and some uh, areas on the field where we don't really know who's going to be in the starting lineup at this point, even what formation Mark is going to use. So I think he said that in these first two games, this is going to be an opportunity for some of those players to go in and win a starting role um, in those one or two positions that we don't really know who those starters are going to be at this point, especially early in the season where, the, where there's a few more openings because Haley Rosso won't be back. Uh, and, and um, the, the Australians won't be back. So there's a little bit more openings. Ellie Carpenter, I was blanking on her name for a second. Um, Ellie Carpenter, Haley Rosso won't be back. So, so there's a little bit more openings on the field. So I think that's what you can kind of ex- expect from the She Believes Cup, but or, wow, I'm just, Messing up all my <laughs> terms right now. That's what you can expect from the preseason tournament. Uh, it'll be interesting to see closer to a starting lineup later in the week. But but these first two games, I, I think there's going to be some players really fighting for a position. Yeah, you're talking to the guy here that almost like butchered the <laughs> names of two longstanding players for the Thorns. So yeah. I'm I'm entirely I'm completely sympathetic. Uh, I'm with you. I was you there. watching the Shea um, Cup today. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, which congratulations to the national team uh, on on, on uh, taking that title home. Good little tournament uh, in having England, Germany, and France uh, there in town for the the She Believes Cup. And in any event, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. And look, as with any reasons, and, and this is true with Thorns as it is with Timbers as it is with any other team, those sort of borderline starting uh, competitions are always sort of the the headline anyway. Right, we know Lindsay Horan or Emily Horan, which one show, whichever one shows up. <laughs> uh, we know Lindsay Horan is gonna start for the Thorns, uh, and and we know it's gonna be in one of a couple spots. Right, uh, we know Emily Sonnet uh, is gonna start for the Thorns. Uh, the, the, there's not much question about that. Christine Sinclair gonna start for the Thorns, uh, and, and so that's not really so, sort of what you're looking for. Those players are obviously also all in game shape already because they've been playing games with their respective national teams. Uh, and so you really do want to see the, the, those sort of those more borderline calls uh, during preseason. And so I anticipate uh, we will get to see that. Uh, and, and then Mark will get to see that over the course of the tournament. I'm going to miss the opener because I'm still going to be uh, in New York city, but I imagine you will not uh, miss the opener. Uh, you mentioned Haley Rosso. What can you tell us about? We, we sort of had the open question from last week. So let's just close this one up. What can you tell us about the injury she suffered with uh, Australia uh, that kept her out of the Algarve Cup uh, and and what we can expect from her going forward. Yeah, uh, Mark did not give a ton of information on this. He, he said he's hopeful that it was nothing major, but that uh, right now she was resting up and they were waiting to get a little bit more info um, from the Australia national team. So we still don't know exactly what's going on, but I guess the hope at this point, and we'll see how this plays out, um, is that it's nothing major, which would be, uh, something to si- kind of breathe a sigh of relief about after obviously hearing about Caitlin Ford's injury uh, last month. Yeah, not been a great off season for injuries. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is not in our mental notes, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, do we know anything new about Tobin Heath when she's going to be returning to Portland and, and, and what sort of her status is going forward? I don't, I don't have a specific date on her return to Portland. I know the expectation was that she would be actually returning uh, right around now uh, ahead of this preseason tournament, uh, but I will have to follow up with Mark to uh, see if she is back at this point and where um, her status is health-wise. 
we are sort of getting into the range and it was a little bit of a broad range, but we're sort of getting close to now to the range uh, when she initially had the surgery, when it was anticipated she could restart engaging in sort of on-field activities. Uh, so we'll see how, how that turns out. Uh, that was not sort of a, a hard date by any means. And, and I imagine uh, somebody out there knows a lot more <laughs> than we do on that point. But that's why we put you on the task, Jamie Goldberg. Uh, that's why you're the journalist and I'm just, I don't know, I'm the blogger. Uh, predictions. That's what we're doing. Uh, we, we, we didn't do preseason for Timbers, so I don't think we should do preseason for Thorns, mostly because, well, the games are really random uh, and often very lineup affected. So we're just going to do Timbers uh, for this week. Red Bulls versus Timbers at Red Bull Arena, 4 o'clock uh, Saturday evening. Jamie Goldberg, what is your call for the game? Well, I'm going to stick with the 2-1 result, but I'm going to switch it up. I think the Timbers are going to win this game. It's going to be a 2-1 win. I think the fact that the Red Bulls are going to have to kind of deal with making some changes to the lineup uh, with the CCL games, I I think that's going to benefit the Timbers. Um, This prediction's more on that and less about my confidence coming out from L.A. I think Audi is going to start kind of looking behind his shoulder and seeing Armenteros there. And I think he's going to step it up and score a goal in this game. So you've got a 2-1 win with a Fernando Adi goal. Uh, for basically the same reason you articulated, I'm going with the Timbers win as well. Uh, just because if the Red Bulls do roll out a, you know, a, a second choice lineup, I, I think that's a lineup the Timbers can and should be able to, to handle even on the road. Uh, so I'm going to go 3-2. I, I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring game. Um, uh, in part because I don't have a ton of faith, uh, in the Timbers back line right now and the Timbers back six in, in, in light of sort of the, uh, the, I, I guess the systemic changes they're going through. Uh, but I do think we are going to see sort of the return of Diego Valeri. Uh, he's going to come in, he's going to get a goal and an assist and that's going to propel the Timbers to, uh, to the win. Uh, fantasy update. We do have to do that now. Not have to, we get to do that now. Uh, now that the, the season has started again. Soccer Man Portland Fantasy League, the top three. I'm like off the leaderboard right now. I didn't have a great week last week. Uh, but in third place is uh, is FC. This, wow, this writing is super small. Making So like I'm having senior moments. I'm having difficulty reading small. Like I might just be getting old. I might be getting, uh, you know, to the, to the point where they like kick me off the podcast because I'm unable to function. Uh, but FC uh Pede lord uh i'm i'm guessing uh that is kaplan in third place with 83 points last week second place i know this one bloodbath and beyond that's erickson uh who is in second with 86 and taking the top spot this last week random team from it is cut off i don't know if i want to say that word uh so, so it's cut off anyway random team from somewhere hugh uh 91 points uh takes the top spot in the soccer made in portland fantasy league last week Thank you all for tuning in this week. A little bit of a shorter podcast uh, as we go this week. Didn't have a ton to talk about, not a ton of news uh, on each side. But thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Thank you all, of course, for your questions, as always, uh, and for joining up the Soccer Main Portland Fantasy League. Sitting just on the other side of the internet for me, that's Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. Collectively, we're Stumptown Footy. No, excuse me. Collectively, good. <laughs> we are. It's time for me to get. It's time for me to go to the farm. <laughs> My goodness, it is time for me. Uh, <laughs> collectively, we are soccer made in Portland. You can find us every week on Stumptown Footy and, of course, on OregonLive.com. Uh, and, and you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Enjoy the Timbers take on the Red Bulls and enjoy uh, the Thorns taking on uh, the Red Stars in their preseason opener. We'll be back next week to talk about all of that and you know maybe more. Uh, until then. As always, take care.